As a free, not-for-profit service, Cradio requires the support of people like you to help keep us going in our mission. To donate, visit cradio.org.au slash donate. Cradio. St. Therese of Lisieux, My Way is All Love, a talk by Father Anthony Mary Pendergast at the Immaculata Mission School, 2019. Good afternoon, everybody. Are you well? Yes. Are you awake? Yes. Did you eat well? Yes. Praise the Lord. <laughs> now it's more spiritual things. So, yeah, uh, we're going to spend uh, a few minutes speaking about uh, Saint Therese. I stated in the French accent because I lived in France for five and a half years and uh, I did my studies over there. So, Saint Therese of Lisieux, the, the little flower, she wrote a book uh, called uh, L'Histoire d'un âme. Do you know what that is in English? The story of a soul. So, you know her. Who, hands up all who uh, ever read the book, L'Histoire d'un âme, or The Story of a Soul. Some of you. Maybe uh, I'd invite all of you to read The Story of a Soul in English, or if you want to read it in French, you can learn French. That'll take a while. I did, so it's possible. Because, you know, it says in the Gospel, nothing is impossible to God. So, you can. there you are. So, um, you know, her picture is up there on the wall. She's numbered among the select of the Immaculata community and uh, numbered among the select in heaven, the, one of the saints of the cloud of witnesses in heaven. So, um, there's no saint with more statues and images of her in the church uh, in the church and in Catholic homes than this little one, this saint. So she's very much loved. And that's amazing because she died at the age of 24 and she spent the last nine years of her life hidden behind the walls of a Carmelite convent, never coming out for nine years. Uh, at the age of 24, and she entered the Carmel when she was 15. For the first 15 years of her life, she did nothing extraordinary. She didn't win uh, an Olympic gold medal. She didn't uh, have a pop band or a rock band. Or she wasn't known, well known as Justin Bieber. <laughs> she made no movies. She wasn't a, math a mathematician or a scientist or anything else. Nothing at all like this. She was totally hidden, as I say, behind the walls of a convent. And yet she's famous. Because there is, in each person, there's an inner world, there's the exterior world, these famous people that we know today and the media, they're living at the exterior level, but this is the inner world in each person. And she lived, she lived at this level of this inner world, and she became famous because of what she lived there. In fact, she didn't even do anything extraordinary. 
from a religious point of view, as a religious. She didn't work extraordinary miracles, founded no religious congregation, didn't actually shed her blood as a martyr, and nothing extraordinary. There were great saints. If you look along the walls there, some of them did extraordinary things. Many of the saints that we know, the great saints, they did really extraordinary things. Like, uh, you know, with St. John Vianney. His picture is there somewhere. I have no PowerPoint, so I have to go by the wall. <laughs> this is my, power, my PowerPoint along the wall. So, St. John Vianney is there somewhere, is he? Where? Oh, he, oh, he's beside her. So, he, for example, I don't think we can follow him because, as we heard uh, Jesse saying earlier, that uh, he lived uh, on a few rotten potatoes uh, every day or even every second day and slept for two hours. In fact, in the end, he slept for one hour and during that hour, he, he used to shave. So, actually, he didn't even... He didn't even he didn't even sleep for an hour. Uh, maybe he had the gift of shaving while he was sleeping or something. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, that wasn't St. Teresa's problem. <laughs> but there were, there were great saints who did extraordinary things. Uh, St. Peter of Alcantara, who used to sleep for one hour, one hour a night. And in order not to fall asleep, he would spend his night on his knees or standing up. He prayed all night long. Well, he had great mystical experience as well. But anyways, that's not for us. Even when I mention that, I see people yawning. <laughs> Even sitting down in the chairs. So, so we're not, we would get easily discouraged by the great saints, the, great, the extraordinary things that they do. Um, and yet the gospel tells us uh, that we are called to sanctity, to become saints. Romans says, the letter to the Romans, I exhort you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present yourself, your bodies, as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. John chapter 15, 12, we've had it already a few times. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Luke 6.40 says, No disciple is above his teacher, but when, but when perfected, everyone will be like his teacher, like Jesus. Lastly, last quote, short quotation, For nothing is impossible to God. You and I are all called to be saints, so it's not impossible. And we cannot be saints by the way of the great saints. And this discouraged St. Therese, the great things that they did. She said, that is not for me, I cannot do this. But she found a way, another way, there is a way in the gospel, a way that you and I have to follow. So, a little bit about her life. She was born into a family uh, which were very devout. As a matter of fact, her mom and dad are on the wall over there. 
somewhere. Her parents. Where are they? They're pointing at them there. What's their names? Uh, Nuli. Nuli. Sorry, I thought she said Nuli. <laughs> so they're there on the wall. They are her, her parents. Her parents are there on the wall. So she was off to a great start. Her parents canonized. They were canonized uh, very recently. In fact, a couple of years ago. Was it a couple of years ago or a year ago? You have to be precise in these things. They were canonized recently. She was canonized uh, at the beginning of the 20th century. So, so clearly, God was preparing her for her mission. Her sisters, she had a number of siblings who died and went to heaven as infants. So they're in heaven, little saints already. And her other sisters, there was uh, one, two, three, four of them, four or five, four. I have to check these things out here. I've got an expert in front of me. Here you are, sister. Would you like to... Sarah, you talk. I don't know what I'm doing here. Sarah's dying to come up to the microphone. No, don't have me discourage you, because I, I might need... This is my PowerPoint. And her sisters... Uh, all of them, the four of them, Pauline the first, after her mother died when she was a small little girl, she was about three or four when she died, and uh, then Pauline became her second mother, and Pauline entered the convent, the Carmelite convent, uh, and the other, all of them, <laughs> all of them entered the convent, one after the other. And uh, so, anyways... It's, it's a pretty good start. You know, if you grow up in a house full of, you know, you have your siblings, they're all in, locked up in prison for committing different crimes, one after the other. You, you don't have a very good start. You know, to be a saint, it's, you're, it's an uphill battle. But she's been... Uh, she's been uh, in this uh, family of saints, basically. But at the same time, Saint Therese was a little bit spoiled. Her mother died when she was little, and her sisters and her dad, you know, made her the center of attention, and they loved her to pieces. They loved her to bits. Uh, and she used to call her dad her king, and her dad used to call her my little queen. One day, he placed his little queen in the convent forever and ever to, uh, to have her at home again. But she was a little bit spoiled, in a way. She wasn't born perfect, not born a saint. So, but she did receive a grace, the Christmas grace, which she called the Christmas grace. She was about 12 years old. And you know, there's a tradition, I don't know if you have it here, but you have it in Ireland and in France uh, and in England, uh, where at Christmas time, you put the gifts into a stocking and you have it on television as well, if you watch television. But I heard that. I don't watch TV. Where you put, uh, in the movies, you put your Christmas gifts into the Christmas stocking and put it at the, uh, at the tree. It's for the children. But she, when she was 12 years old, she overheard her father saying, uh, 
Uh, thank God this will be the last Christmas I will have to do this for her. And she overheard this and she was really, really broken hearted. She was so upset. But suddenly she caught herself and she turned to God. Instead of turning into herself, she turned to God there immediately and offered back to God. And she won her first victory. This victory of uh, glorifying God, turning away from self. It was the, the grace of being decentered from ourself, to not be decentered, to surrender, to surrender everything to God and to be counted not as the first and the most important, but to be counted, in fact, as insignificant, to give all the glory to God. That was the grace she received when she was 12 years old. And um, so that began her journey, you might say, to propelled her on the way to sanctity because she gave all the focus to Jesus. There was the grace uh, which she received uh, also. She'd been sick for uh, a few months with some very mysterious illness. She was in some kind of a torment, inner torment. She was a child and they didn't know what to do with her. The doctors couldn't heal her. Nothing could take care of her. And they gave her up almost. They were despairing about her. Her father and her sisters were kind of despairing about her. What's going to happen to little Therese? They didn't know what to do. So they were praying and praying and she was praying. And there was a statue of our Blessed Lady on her, uh, on her, on her, beside her mantelpiece there. And one day, our Blessed Lady, as she was praying to her, the statue became alive and Our Lady smiled at her. And she carried within her all the rest of her life this smile of our Blessed Lady. The love of our Blessed Lady, Our Lady was with her all the time. So this is another grace that she received. She uh, had a fascination, a real fascination for the, the holy face of Jesus. She's called Saint Therese uh, of the holy face. Saint Therese of the child Jesus of the holy face. Is that correct? PowerPoint. <laughs> so she was fascinated by the face of Jesus. That uh, and uh, this face, which is disfigured, you know, the face which was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration in beauty, revealing the truth about who he is a divine person, or the love, the beauty of God in the face of Jesus. And Jesus comes down from the mountain of Transfiguration, goes to another mountain, the mountain of Calvary, and there he is disfigured unrecognizable and behind, hidden behind the face of Jesus is the very love of God. He's totally hidden from the world. Jesus accepts in his love to be hidden and to be disfigured. And Saint Therese says, I want to be, uh, I desire that like the face of Jesus, my face be truly hidden, that no one on earth would know me. So she wants to give all the glory to Jesus to be like him, and it's totally different to what the social media tells you, that you must be known in order to be happy, you must be known, you must be seen by everybody, you must be glorified. But the face of Jesus, Jesus tells us the direct opposite, and Saint Therese, in her little way, tells us it's the opposite. When we hide ourselves in Jesus and not desiring to be glorified, but to glorify him, to be like him, 
uh, to do, follow Jesus in his way, then we can be, that's part of the entering into the little way of St. Therese. So at uh, the time of St. Therese, there was at that time in France and in Europe, uh, there was a great emphasis on God's justice. You see, a lot of saints follow the ways of, you know, a lot of people. Some saints offer themselves to divine justice. To placate God's justice, I offer myself to God's justice. But who can stand before the justice of God? Only one person can stand before God's justice, and that is Jesus. And we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where the blood pours out from his, from his, the pores in his flesh. He's sweating. The sweat becomes blood because he's before the justice of God. Nobody can stand before God's justice but Jesus alone. That's what he came for. So a lot of people had offered themselves to divine justice. But that wasn't her way. She offered herself to God's love. She made an offering to merciful love. Isn't that better? It's his love that he wants to show us, not his justice. And so she knew that it wasn't the way for her. These great things, extraordinary things, and following the way of justice, it's not for her, and it's not for you and I. You are, uh, we are being called to saints, but we're not being called to the way to offer ourselves to God's divine justice. We cannot do it. And we're not being called because we're too fragile. We live in a world today, everybody, everybody, but everybody is so absolutely fragile. Even to spend a Friday fasting on bread and water, we're nearly dead Saturday morning. Where in those days, it was kind of normal. You know, they could spend the week fasting, but we're not able to. We're so fragile in the world that we are born into. And people today, youth, young people, are born into a world, in a sense, which is very difficult for them because they're surrounded by all temptations. There's the social media, the internet, and everything there at their fingertip all kinds of temptations which did not exist at that time. So God knows that today you are very fragile and God has great mercy on the people today because he knows the situation that people live in, especially young people who have never seen anything, anything else. At least me, when I was... I didn't see television until I was 10 years old. When I was a child, every night, we knelt down on the concrete floor and we said the rosary with our backs to the open fire to keep warm. There was no TV, no distraction. So today I say and I believe that God is so, so, so merciful to the people today, to the young people, provided that we just open our hearts a little bit to him. And St. Therese is given to us a century ago, a little bit more than a century ago, to prepare this generation for to receive in a deeper way the mercy of God, that we discover the mercy of God, that we are fascinated 
and fall in love with God's merciful love for us. Saint Therese, she was also uh, said, of course, it's the gospel, the line from the gospel in Luke 5, that uh, Jesus said, and it's the word for us, Jesus said, I did not come for the perfect, but for, for who? Jesus. Said, are you perfect? No. Are you sure? Yes. Are you sinners? Yes. Only half of you said yes, so the other half are perfect. <laughs> who, let's clarify this thing up. Who is the sinner here? Can we hear with your voices? Yes. Who is perfect here? Who's standing up? There's somebody standing in the back. <laughs> There's other people falling down in the spirit in the front. So we have to rejoice that we are not perfect. We know none of us knows that we're perfect. And thank God that God shows us our sinfulness our fragility and our brokenness. This is a gift from God because in the gospel, the only ones that Jesus could do nothing with were the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the people who believed they were perfect. The Pharisees, they were very, very good, morally speaking. They went to the synagogue every day or every whenever they went. They fasted twice a week. They fasted. They gave alms to the temple. They were perfect but Jesus could do nothing with them because they didn't need him. Do you need Jesus? Yes. Well, then he brought good news. He's come with good news for us. It's a good news because we have a Savior and a Redeemer. And we want to allow Jesus to come to do what he is sent by the Father to do to be our Redeemer, our Savior in us. Uh, Saint Therese, her little way is also a way of thirst. You know, like Mother Teresa of Calcutta, she discovered the thirst of Jesus. Saint Therese of Calcutta, in 1947, just to digress to another Therese, a saint as well, St. Therese of Calcutta, in 1947, she was going on the train to Darjeeling in India to go to a retreat. And there Jesus appeared to her and Jesus revealed to her his thirst on the cross, what this thirst meant. And St. Therese of Calcutta said, I understood the thirst of Jesus that day in a way I can never explain. I'm not able to explain the thirst of Jesus. So she spent the rest of her life uh, bringing souls to Jesus, little ones, broken ones, in the streets of Calcutta, all over the world, slums, the nothingness, the people rejected by society, people, yes, with worms in their ear or whatever, dying. The first person she ever picked up was a perfect, was a, was a woman, sorry, was a person, a man, sorry, who was actually... <laughs> Well, these details are important. 
Because you might check it up and say he's telling a lie. A, person, a, a man lying down in the gutter, dying, and she spent the whole day at the door of a hospital insisting that they open the door to this man, but they were refusing. But her persistence made them open the door because it doesn't remind you of the gospel. If you keep knocking, the door will be open to you. So she kept knocking and they'd open the door. She spent then her life after, at, in every house of Mother Teresa of Calcutta, at the cross, there is the words written up beside it, I thirst. St. Therese, the little flower, she was a person who discovered the thirst of Jesus. She was a person of desire. She was a saint of desire. The desire, what are your desires? Do you desire to be Olympic champion? I hear silence. <laughs> Do you desire to be like Justin Bieber? By the way, I think I heard he had a conversion. He did. Check PowerPoint. He did. <laughs> he had a conversion. Good. Praise the Lord. Anybody can have a conversion. So, she had all these desires in her heart. The Holy Spirit was giving her these extraordinary desires within her. To be, uh, she wanted to be a missionary. She was behind the walls of Carmel. And in her life of prayer and in union with Jesus and the Holy Spirit was flowing through her, giving her these desires coming from God. She wanted to be a missionary. She wanted to be a martyr. She wanted to be an apostle. She wanted even to be a priest. <coughs> and many other things. She wanted to be all these things. So she was searching through the gospel for a response. What will I be? What is my vocation within my vocation? She was going kind of, you might say, going, going kind of mad, you know, with, with, with desire, with the love for God within her. What is she going to be? So she was reading through uh, St. Paul, first letter of the Romans. We had it also yesterday evening. So I will read for you. I will read for you what she was reading and what she discovered. My microphone is needs resuscitation. <laughs> I should have marked it before I came. Now I have to look for it. 1 Romans 13. 1 Romans 13. Yeah, I have it. So, 13, one. I'm going to read it for you. Because this is what she was reading. Trying to get an answer for this burning, these burning desires within her. What is she going to be? She was so madly in love with God. She wanted to do what God wanted her to do. So she picked this up and she said, and it read, and I point out to you a yet more excellent way. If I should speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have charity or love, I have become the sounding brass or a tingling cymbal. Do you have a Bible? Yes. You have no, where, in the house at home? On the shelf? 
Who here has a Bible? I'm surprised. I thought you were Catholic. Good news. And if I have prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and hey, we better tune back. Huh? What PowerPoint what? It's Corinthians 5. Oh, sorry, did I say Romans? <laughs> well, Romans wasn't too far away from Corinth. I am not reading from Romans. I am reading from 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 1. It is not Romans. I must tell you about this Bible here before I go on. This Bible, I got it repaired recently. I got it put in order. But when I lived in France, my Bible was falling apart. And I asked an old nun, she used to do book binding, if she would fix my Bible, put the pages back together. So she did. And uh, Ben, I was reading through the book of Revelation Apocalypse. A week later, normally there's 22 verses in the Apocalypse. I came to verse 7 and verse 8 and there's no more. <laughs> and I was kind of upset about that because you cannot take away parts of the Bible unless you're a Protestant maybe or something. <laughs> so, sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, sorry. I, I take that back. So she was, I was a bit of, uh, slightly upset, you know, because it's my Bible and it's the Word of God. And she was a good holy woman. And there was part of the Bible missing. And then, like, I got over it. You know, you get over things, don't you? And then, like, three weeks later, I'm reading through St. Matthew. I come to ch chapter 7 of St. Matthew and what's next but chapter 8 of the Apocalypse. <laughs> so I got so fed up of that because I was last year in London I spent the whole year giving it to the mission, missionaries of charity giving them, uh, bringing them through the book of Revelation and it's so tiring, you know, <laughs> chapter 7, and then you have to go through St. Matthew. <laughs> and then I'll be saying, this is chapter 8 of the Apocalypse, and I go to the, like, near the front of the Bible, and they say, Father, it's not there, it's not there. I say, yes, it is there, it's there. <laughs> and I show it to them, look, there it is. <laughs> so, but there, a, a few months ago, I got it repaired properly. So now it's an order. Ah. Oh yeah, sorry, I came here to do something. I better continue. <laughs> so we're not in Romans, are they? We're in 1 Corinthians 13. If I should speak the tongues of men and angels, do not have charity, I become as sounding brass uh, and a tingling cymbal. And if I have prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, yet do not have charity, I am nothing. St. Teresa is reading through this, still searching. And if I distribute all my goods to the, feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, 
and yet do not have charity, it profits me nothing. Charity is patient, is kind. Charity does not envy, is not pretentious, is not puffed up, is not ambitious, is not self-seeking, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does, no, does not rejoice over wickedness, but rejoices with the truth, bears with all things, believes in thing, all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Charity never fails, or love never fails, whereas prophecies will disappear and tongues will cease and knowledge will be destroyed. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is imperfect will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I felt like a child, I thought as a child. Now that I become a man, I have put away the things of a child. We see now through a mirror in an obscure manner, but bend face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know uh, even as I had been known. So there abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. At last, I found my vocation. I will be the love in the church. Yes, that's it, she said. I will be the love in the church. Love, that is what I seek. I know but only one thing now, to love thee, O Jesus. Glorious deeds are not, not for me. I cannot preach the gospel, shed my blood, what does it matter? My brothers toil instead of me, and I, the little child, I keep quite close to the royal throne. I love for the I love for those who fight. That's what that's you find that in the L'histoire du Nam. And she said, Oh Jesus, my love at last, I have found my vocation. My vocation is love. Yes, I have found my place in the bosom of the church. And this place, O oh my God, thou hast thyself given to me in the heart of the church, my mother, I will be the love. Thus I shall be all things. Thus will my dream be realized. When you love, you have all these other things. She is not known for her prophesying, for her speaking in tongues, for her miracles. Maybe she did have these things, but she's not known for these things. She is known for one thing. St. Therese is known as the doctor of love. In fact, all the saints are doctors of love. They're all love. They love with a particular, they love Jesus. They permit Jesus to love in them. So, dans le cœur de l'église, dans le cœur de l'église, je serai l'amour. I will be the love in the heart of the church. What a beautiful thing to say. But in fact, who can say I will be the love? Who can say that? Remember Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody can say that except Jesus. Who can say that I will be the love? The Holy Spirit is the love. Jesus is the love. And yet St. Therese has the audacity to say, I will be the love. She says something quite extraordinary. I will be the love. When you think about it, in Lourdes, Mary said to the... Uh, St. Bernadette, I am the Immaculate Conception. We've got to think about that. There was a, dog, a dogma proclaimed, Mary was immaculately conceived. But he didn't say, I am the Immaculate Conception. 
She says something that you've got to think about, we cannot talk about today. I am the Immaculate Conception. Who can say that except the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the eternal conception, Immaculate. We cannot get into that here. What did it mean? I am the love. The Holy Spirit is love. So the Holy Spirit is dwelling within her. She draws the Holy Spirit down into her. And she has to journey on a way of poverty and a way of littleness. The Holy Spirit is the response. We talk about the Holy Spirit all the time. Our St. John used another word, paraclete, paracletos. We just use the word Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sent to us is the response of the Father's love to Jesus' holocaust on the cross. Jesus gives his life for love of the Father and for us, dying in his sacred humanity and dying in his human will, offering everything that nothing remains but the Father, the Father's love on the cross. And the Father's response to this offering of Jesus is to send the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit comes, because Jesus gave his life and the Father responds, sending the Holy Spirit to us. So the Holy Spirit is given. St. Therese knows that to have a desire, that God wants us to have great desires. What is your desire? Do you have small desires or big desires? Do you desire to be a saint? Yes. If we don't desire to be a saint, somehow we reduce the mercy of Jesus. The mercy of God is not us, but we have to look at his mercy and we have to believe that one day his mercy will be totally victorious within us. Do you believe this? Yes. This is what St. Therese believed. She knew it is possible. It is possible to be a saint. So again, I mentioned about Jansenism. Jansenism, Jansenism did I? Sort of. Jansenism was uh, very prevalent in France. Again, I think I mentioned about it earlier. This Jansenism, where you had to be perfect before God might love you. Maybe I will do great things, wonderful things, be very virtuous, and maybe God will begin to love me. But this is not the gospel, is it? Otherwise, he wouldn't love me or you. And he loves us with a particular love because we are broken. He loves us in our brokenness and in our sinfulness. He came for us. There was, one who thought he was, there was one who thought he was perfect. Remember Lucifer. Lucifer means the light bearer, the, of, the bearer of light. He opposed God by his perfection. And we can see what happened to him when you oppose God. But St. Therese drew God down by her littleness. And then St. Therese also was fascinated by the good thief. At the cross, there were three crosses where Jesus died. Jesus was in the middle and there was the good thief and the not the good thief. Well, I thought all thieves were bad. He was a thief. He stole. In fact, it's not thief in Greek, but it's criminal. He was probably a murderer. But he was, 
been crucified for his crimes. And he had the good fortune to be crucified beside Jesus at that moment. And one moment he glanced over at Jesus and he saw in the eyes of Jesus this infinite love, the merciful love of Jesus in the eyes of Jesus and it pierced through his heart and he was touched, he was burned by the love of Jesus and was suddenly converted. And he heard the words of Jesus. St. Therese was so fascinated by this. Remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say to him? The very same words he wants to say to St. Therese, the very same words he wants to say to each one of us. This day you will be with me in paradise. paradise. He was a murderer. You don't look that bad. Also, you know, Mary Magdalene? Mary Magdalene? She's a canonized saint of the church. Mary Magdalene is a canonized saint of the church. And Jesus had expelled seven demons, demons for her. She was a prostitute. And by the mercy of Jesus, by the gaze of Christ, that she fell in love with him, pierced her heart, and she's now a canonized saint. So this little way of St. Therese, you know, it translated into her relationship, uh, her commitments, her tasks, her relationship with others. Her love for Jesus had to translate into her relationship with her sisters. And you know, there's a small little example. There was one of the sisters at prayer, in silent prayer in the morning. She used to make a noise, like a tapping noise with her, with her foot against the stool. It's very annoying when you're trying to pray. But St. Therese, she had to resist the temptation to tell her to stop. And she began to love that noise. It became like music to her. She almost needed it to pray. Anyways, I exaggerate. <laughs> Just to say quickly that in love, Jesus loves her and she loves Jesus. And there are two movements in love. To give and to receive. When you are dealing with Jesus, what is first is what you receive from him. It's not what I give to him, but what I receive from him. He is an infinite source, an infinite abyss. He is God incarnate. And what I have to do is to open my heart to him, to be a beggar, to be totally empty. So St. Therese said, at the end of my life, I will come with empty hands, with nothing. Not my good works. What she will come with is the love of Jesus. I wanted to go on a... In fact, you could go on and on and on and on and on. But I have to kind of, you know, summarize a little bit things. St. Therese, she lived a little way. Really fascinated by the gaze of Jesus. Really in love with him. And she, her little way, she refused to take her eyes off him. And when she had a fault or sinned in whatever way, she didn't look at herself at all. She recognized that she is a sinner, but she went back immediately to him to see his love for her. And she was giving Jesus the joy continually of being redeemer in her, of being her savior. That's a lesson for us that, you know, we fall somewhere or another, lack of charity. 
So we have to immediately to look at Jesus, to allow him to be the redeemer that he wants to be in us. And uh, so this, of course, she had a horror of sin, but of course she looked at him first. She made her, her offering to Jesus, the merciful offering to merciful love. And I'll read a few quickly. That'll take two minutes. I still have a minute and a half left. Oh my God, most blessed Trinity, I desire to love you and make you loved, to work for the glory of Holy Church by saving souls on earth and liberating those suffering in purgatory. I desire to accomplish your will perfectly and to reach the degree of glory you have prepared for me in your kingdom. I desire in a word to be a saint, but I feel my helplessness and I beg you, O oh my God, to be yourself my sanctity. Since you loved me so much as to give me your only son as my saviour and my spouse, the infinite treasures of his merits are mine. And that's a little way. I offer them to you with gladness, begging you to look upon me only in the face of Jesus and in his heart burning with love. I offer you too all the merits of the saints in heaven and on earth, their acts of love and those of the holy angels. Finally, I offer you, O blessed Trinity, the love and merits of the blessed Virgin, my dear mother. I'll finish in a second. She's offering nothing of herself. She's offering all the merits of the saints, our blessed mother, and all the saints in heaven. This is what she's, and of Jesus, giving to the Father not depending at all on nothing of ourselves. Um, it is to her, or Mother Mary, that I abandon my offering, begging her to present it to you, her divine son, my beloved spouse, told us in the days of his mortal life, whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So she's asking this of the Father, that all the merits of Jesus, that she come with empty hands of her own works, but the merits of Jesus she will present to the Father and our Blessed Mother Mary and all the saints. I'm certain then that you will grant my desires. I know only, oh my God, that the more you want to give, the more you make us desire. I feel in my heart immense desires and it is with confidence I ask you to come and take possession of my soul. Uh, I... Cannot receive Holy Communion as often as I desire. In those days you couldn't. But Lord, are you not all-powerful? Remain in me as in a tabernacle and never separate yourself from your little victim. I want to console you for the ingratitude of the wicked and I beg of you to take away my freedom to displease you. You, if through, displease you, if through weakness I sometimes fall my... May your divine glances cleanse my soul immediately, consuming all my imperfections like the fire that transforms everything into itself. I thank you, O oh my God, for all the graces you have granted me, especially the grace of making me pass through the crucible of suffering. It is with joy I shall contemplate you on the last day carrying the scepter of your cross. Since you designed since you deigned to give me a share in this very precious cross, I hope 
in heaven to resemble you and to see shining in my glorified body the sacred stigmata of your passion. After earth's exile, I hope to go and enjoy you in the fatherland, but I do not want to lay up merit for heaven. I want to work for your love alone with the one purpose of pleasing you, consoling your sacred heart and saving souls who will love you for all eternity. In the evening of this life, I shall appear before you with empty hands, for I do not ask you, Lord, to count, count my works. All our justice is stained in your eyes. I wish then to be clothed in your own justice and to receive from your love the eternal possession of yourself. I want no other throne, no other crown, but you, my beloved. Time is nothing in your eyes, and a single day is like a thousand years. You can then in one instant prepare me to appear before you. In order to live in one single act of love, perfect love, I offer myself as a victim of Holocaust to your merciful love, asking you to consume me unceasingly, incessantly, allowing the waves of infinite tenderness shut up within you to overflow into my soul, and that thus I may become a martyr of your love, O my God. May this martyrdom, after having prepared me to appear before you, finally cause me to die, and may my soul take its flight without any delay into the eternal embrace of your merciful love. I want, O oh my beloved, at each beat of my heart to renew this offering to you an infinite number of times until the shadows having disappeared, I may be able to tell you of my love an eternal face to face. Saint Therese made the offering, and then after Saint Therese, she was full of consolation and joy. She made this offering. After that, Saint Therese entered into a terrible, into a, a period of very great intense darkness. So God was giving her the chance to offer this offering in full of consolation, and now she has to enter into a darkness a terrible darkness with the sense of the absence of God, what God permitted, in order this offering be deeper and deeper and deeper, and that she become more and more and more a beggar of God. And also entering into this darkness, the dark night of the Spirit, St. Therese entered into, which was so severe, St. Therese, even the saint said, I am tempted to suicide. And she told the sisters to take away the medication from, she was dying, she was tuberculosis, she told them to take away the medication from her because she was tempted to suicide because of the terrible suffering she was going through inwardly, the terrible darkness. But God was permitting this darkness not only for herself, but also because she desired to save souls. She had to go into the darkness of the atheists and the unbelievers, into their darkness, and remain faithful in, with them. She's at the table of sinners, eating with the table of sinners, where they are. She's entered into their darkness remain faithful, to pull them out of their darkness and to bring them to belief by her faithfulness and her yes and her faith in God despite everything and her total surrender. And at the very end of her life, at the last end of her life, she goes into an ecstasy of joy when Jesus apparently appeared to her and there she's rewarded for all eternity in the measure she was faithful to him in all the joys and in the trials and everything else. So I would say one last thing to you. Can I say one last thing? And in 30 seconds. Sometimes people say to me, 
They say, Father, I don't pray anymore. Pray anymore. So why? Because I used to pray and I used to be full of joy in prayer. And now I feel nothing. I feel like God is not there anymore. So I tell them, well, that's the time to pray more and more and more. Because when you feel full of joy and consolation, then you don't grow fast in sanctity. God is spoiling you. But when he removes the consolations and you don't feel anymore like praying and then you are faithful, then you move with great strides by the way of sanctity, by the way of love. Be faithful whether you feel joyful or you feel nothing. And praise the Lord if you feel nothing because then he is treating you with a greater love. First, he feeds you with milk. As St. Paul said, he's giving you milk because you're a baby. And then he wants you to grow up and to run the way of the victory and to accept the fact that you don't feel sometimes, you know, consolations and joy that you feel. You don't feel like praying. You don't feel anything. But that's the time to pray all the more because again, it's then that you grow in sanctity and then you can become an instrument and then you can grow from victory to victory, allowing Jesus to be victorious in you, his victory on the cross happening in you, whether there's joy or anything else or darkness or whatever else, because one day you will be in glory. And whenever Jesus permits a trial in your life, it's always in view of the glory that he sees. Jesus sees right now the glory that you will live for all eternity. You don't see it. All you see is what you see now. You see this poor creature before you and you're thinking to yourself, it's time he stopped. So, <laughs> I think was that, the, that was the longest five minutes ever I saw. <laughs> so we say, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning. That was Father Anthony Mary Pendergrast with St. Therese of Lisieux, My Way is All Love. This talk was recorded at the Immaculata Mission School 2019 at the Glenny School in Toowoomba, Queensland. To hear more talks from Immaculata Mission Schools from years gone by, and to hear other great Catholic talks, interviews and shows, head over to cradio.org.au.